A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is episode 97 with Chris Bakke. Welcome to the As Told by Nomads podcast. Where you'll learn how nomads, third culture kids, entrepreneurs, and leaders all over the world embrace their global identity and use their difference to make a difference. And now, having lived on four different continents, here's your host, Tyo Roxas. Welcome, everybody, to As Told by Nomads podcast, and today I have with me a two-timer. His name is Chris Bakke. You might remember him from One Weird Globe fame. He, he talked about his travel blog, which focuses on the weird and offbeat destinations around the world. Well, he's here again, and today he has a new project to talk about. It's called the Choose Away uh, Books and ChooseAway.com, but I'm going to let him talk about that more, and we're going to dive into... What he's been up to since then, uh, he's moved, and we're just going to talk about different things you can do as a writer across different continents. Welcome to the show, Chris. Hello, Tayo. How are you? Pleasure's mine. I'm great. So last we talked, I think you were in Korea or Thailand. I can't remember. It was either one of those. I think it was, I think it was Thailand. We moved around a lot around Thailand. We were in each place for about six months in Thailand, but now we are in Medellin, Colombia. Uh, Medellin is the former home of uh, the Mr. Pablo Escobar. Who, I was about uh, to say that. <laughs> was uh, very well known for, for his, uh, his uh, string of crimes and drugs and all that. Uh, in terms of, uh, in, in case you're wondering, you're thinking, oh my gosh, it's, it's so unsafe. No, it's not. All of the drugs and all of that stuff uh, has faded into the background. And today... The city is as clean and as awesome as any first world city deserves to be. There's a working two-line metro system. There's plenty of buses to get you around town. The libraries, and this is the thing I like the most about the city, the libraries are the most modern and um, you know awesome sort of looking buildings that, that you will find around the city. You've got all the skyscrapers and the houses and the tiendas and the shops and all this sort of stuff, but it's the libraries of all the buildings in town that uh, that really stand out from an architectural standpoint. All right, right now I have to check it out. Uh, Medellin, is Medellin is the Medi- the two L G? It's, it's yeah, yeah. It's it's actually the the. Uh, 
the way that they pronounce it here. I've, when I first saw it, I was like, Medellin? Um, okay, like Medallion? Or, or how does that work? And then, of course, you go back to what you think you know about Spanish. If you never learned Spanish uh, in school, like like I didn't, you might think, okay, two L's is like a Y. Y, is what I and, Exactly. So uh, a lot of people, they come here and they go, oh, Medellin. And, hmm. and then they begin hearing uh, the, the locals speak, and it's Medellin. Don't ask me how you get uh, the, like a like a ZH or a J sound from two L's. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what, no. What I, what, hey. what, yeah, yeah, you'll hear it both ways in, in all honesty, but it's it's properly pronounced Medellin, as I've been told many, many times by many, many people. No, I, I love it. And thank you for educating the audiences, as usual. So choose away, choose away guides, which, you know, that's what you're, you're up to now. And I, I, on the website, you describe it as interactive travel guides to world famous city. Um, I mean, like exactly. a choose your own adventure type of book. So, can you talk about what you're doing? Because I know you're doing a lot for, from now to the end of the year, and uh, how oh, the yeah. readers can get involved. Sure. Okay. So, first off, um, just as a show of hands, do you remember reading the the choose your own adventure books growing up? Oh my goodness! Five hundred people just raised their hands. You see them. <laughs> <laughs> I loved those books as a kid. Now, if you're if you're not from the U.S., if you didn't grow up in the uh, the late '80s or early '90s, choose your own adventure book. Were books that give you a choice at the ba- at the bottom of some pages. So, for example, if you choose to go into the palace, turn to page ten. If you choose to explore outside, turn to page twelve. And so you turn to the page, you'd read the next page or two of the story, and then you'd make smart choices. And your choices, good or bad, would eventually lead you to uh, some unique endings. Some were great endings, you saved the girl, you saved the planet. Some were bad endings, you got eaten by the Loch Ness Monster, you, <laughs> you got devoured by something else, you got killed by the plane. You know, so uh, these are you know, pretty safe endings, you know, G and PG rated, if you will. But, um, yeah, so your choices determined how the story went. And I loved these books as a kid. I loved them. I loved having the ability to choose my own way instead of the way that the writer wanted me to do it. Uh, So about a year ago, actually, uh, I was sitting down. I was beginning to put together uh, an, an itinerary guide for Bangkok. And I actually asked myself, what if you made a guide where instead of being told where to go, what to do by some, you know, well-meaning personal, sure, but what if you got the choice? What if you chose each step of the way, where you would go, what you would do? And so so I thought, okay, well, guidebooks already kind of let you do that. You know, you get a 300-page guidebook, and there's all these choices in the book. The problem with the guidebooks is there are so many choices in a book, and they're all scattered over the city. You don't know what's closer to you or further away, and so maybe you try to do an app or something. Anyways, um, so I started uh, with this notion of creating a series of books. Or just the first book was the Bangkok book, and to describe uh, where to go, what to do, with you, the reader, the traveler, having the choice each step of the way. Each day starts with what time are you ready to go? Before 9 o'clock, between 9 and 10, between 10 and 11, between 11 and noon, or it's afternoon. And so based on that, you, you get three new choices. Would you rather go to the museum, the temple, the palace? And so you'll tap which one you, you want to go to. 
and you once you pull it up, you'll see the picture, the name of the place, the address, uh, admission costs, what the hours are, a little description, and then what's next? Hmm. And you have three more choices coming up. So you'll end up going to four or five places in each day. And again, you choose every step of the way. So once you get to the end of the day, you can unlock the location index, which lets you see an alphabetized list of every single place in the book. So if you want to skip around or kind of hack the book a little bit, you can do that as well. So that, that's, I mean, I'm just thinking and I'm trying to picture it in my way. And that's really, that's such a cool idea. I don't know why I didn't Thank think you. of it. I don't, I don't know why I didn't think of it. But, <laughs> but so, so now you're going to like invite the like people to be authors essentially you're going to tell them to to like go on their own adventure almost and find their own uh you know absolutely absolutely so i wrote the first one about bangkok and uh i realized that i'm kind of limited in how much uh, time and effort i have to go actually see the places for myself um so i had the idea to begin working with other travel bloggers, other authors, other local experts, people that know a town like the back of your hand. And I began working with uh, some other travel bloggers. For the first book I didn't write was uh, by a guy named Jim Cheney. He wrote the book about Philadelphia. And uh, so I began putting a template together with him to give him a pretty standardized mindset of uh, like how to write the book and so on, and uh, I kind of kind of think of him as my, my my test guinea pig. He's an awesome guy. He keeps a great blog over at uncoveringpa.com, just like Pennsylvania's abbreviation, Uncovering PA. Mm-hmm. And uh, he wrote the book about Philly, and that came out uh, a little bit later, uh, the beginning of January, actually, January 2015. And then I kind of began thinking about the best way to move forward with this project and that was to create a pretty standardized sort of template and a pretty standardized way of working with each uh, city. So what I do now is I am constantly looking for expats, for nomads, for locals, local experts, travel bloggers, travel writers, basically anybody that knows a world famous city like the back of their hand. And the reason I say world-famous cities, these are the bigger cities where there's lots going on, lots to do, and there's always tourists going, well, what do I do? What do I do? <laughs> there's typically a lot of them around. Um, so thus far, as of uh, when we're recording this, we have done books on Bangkok, Philadelphia, Bangkok food, we have Sydney, um, Amsterdam, and Chicago. And coming up, before we finish out 2015, uh, three books are all already in the work. There's going to be Prague, it's going to be Houston, and Lisbon. So if you know a major world-famous city like the back of your hand, go to chooseaway.com. All the information is there. And uh, you're, you're also able to play through uh, the first day of the Bangkok books. You can kind of get a feel of how it works. So authors, when they write the Choose Away books, they make 70% of all royalties received. And that's that's their money. It's the money that uh, goes to, towards paying them for uh, their hard work and writing and really getting to know a city really well. Uh, I keep the other thirty percent as for my cut for editing and formatting and putting the book together, putting it out there, helping to promote it, stuff like that. Uh, you are asked to uh, obviously help uh, promote the book on your on your blog, maybe your social media, wherever you have an audience online. 
and uh, the more you put your book out there, there is a correlation between how much you're able to help promote it and how well you do in the end, and so on. Awesome, awesome. No, I'll definitely put all this information in the show notes. And, and, and like I said, it sounds really interesting because it's, a, it's just a, it's such an interactive uh, project that, you know, you're giving someone something to do. And I love the Choose Your Adventure, um, you know, uh, example that you gave because it's, it's, you know, it's reminiscent of, a, you know, the type of things that I used to do. Oh, yeah. And now, now it's like you're giving someone a chance to uh, yeah. almost you know, best, go right. And best of all, best of all with these uh, Choose Away books, there are no bad endings. <laughs> if you, that if is you true. Read the, <laughs> if you read the Choose Your Own Adventure books, you know, you got eaten by a dragon. You got lost in space. You got sucked into a black hole. These are not good endings. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're not. So, they're not. They're not the most tasteful of endings as well. They're like, yeah. ah, why did I, I have to get that, eaten? <laughs> and honestly, I think that's why I liked them as a kid because they weren't really safe. You know, you, you actually felt like there was some danger in it. And then, of course, you're you, like, I don't know how many other people did this as kids, but when you read the books and you have to make a choice where you're pretty sure neither of them are really good, you put your finger on that page you're turning from, then you go to one ending and you go, no, I didn't like that. I'm going to go back to the other page <laughs> and, uh, and see what happens. No, I, I hear so, you. so, yeah, no bad endings in these books. You're always going to end at the end of the day. And that brings up the location and the chance to start a new day. And it's there for, for those people that like to plan ahead of time, they want to read through the book and kind of pick and choose the places. That's there for you. Uh, it's really designed and written for someone that's going on the fly without planning too far ahead of time. Let the book kind of take you and guide you uh, as you go. Love it. And um, staying on this author path, can you talk about what it's like to write your first book? Because I imagine... Some people taking on, you know, your idea here would be first-time authors. So can you talk about what a to lot expect? Of, yeah. Okay. Well, um, I want to talk more generally to uh, to your audience here. It's not just about my series, but if you're thinking about writing a book, one of the things you want to consider is specifically, as specific as you can get, who is your reader? Is this a 30-something person? Is this a 40-something person? Uh, are you primarily writing to men or women? Are you writing to a specific nationality? Is there uh, a specific uh, tech level or a geek level you're writing towards? Uh, if you're writing a book about, let's say, computer coding, uh, you're, you kind of have that mindset. This is a beginner's book. This is an introductory book. Or this is a book for experts. It's an advanced level book. Um, a lot of nonfiction books kind of start with this beginner level uh, persona or avatar in, in their mind and then they kind of get to intermediate level uh, subjects as the time goes on. So really think about who your audience is, what questions might they be having, what issues might they be having, finding something that will work for them. Um, so for to put my money where my mouth is, my uh, avatar, my persona for these books are 20-somethings and 30-somethings that like to travel, that may have a limited time to travel, that don't want to go to the same places everyone else goes. Like, uh, have you ever heard of the Lonely Planet effect? No, I haven't. Okay. Um, it, it's just, it's kind of a, well, it's kind of a, a slang way to say it. Whenever Lonely Planet or another really big name travel book publishes a book about a place and they recommend a place, 
that place gets really famous and really popular and what ev inevitably happens is the service begins to go down, the price begins to go up, and but people still come because, hey, it's recommended by Lonely Planet. Um, so a lot of places begin to decline somewhat, and it's unfortunate, but they do begin to decline once they've been featured in Lonely Planet. Um, so what I do with the authors that I work with, I try to tell them, find me places that about half of them be mainstream places that everyone knows about. Half of them could be the lesser traveled, the local secrets, the off the beaten path sort of places that your average tour guide book wouldn't tell you about. And the main reason for that is to help you get to some fun places that you haven't heard about, your friends hadn't heard about. So, love it, love it, love it. So. Find your avatar and really just write to them. You know, talk to them. Know the intended audience you're trying to reach out to, and um, yeah, just write exactly. like you're talking to them. Exactly. And now, and also, the more similar you are to them, the more that can help you. But at the same time, you don't have to be like the people you're writing to. It can help you, but it's not a requirement, or whatever. Uh, but if you're thinking about writing a travel book, let's just let's say because this is a, kind of a travel. Uh, related podcast here. Um, <laughs> you might want to think of. You might want also want to think about what um, what things have you learned on your journey that other people will really take to heart, will they really enjoy? Uh, I think too often we'll just say, "Oh, I want to write a book about me and all the cool stuff I've done." Without <laughs> thinking about what's the reader going to take away from that? Right. Okay. You know. So I have what the reader's going to take away and find the avatar. So now you've written the book. What what is the next step? You know, what's the next step for these uh, first time authors? Okay. Well, first off, pour yourself a glass of wine. Give yourself a manicure. Writing often feels like the hardest part. So give yourself some congratulations and some props because I say this truthfully and honestly, you deserve it. Okay. At the same time, you have reached base camp at Everest. Mm -hmm. We're not at the top of the mountain yet, my friend. We are at base camp. Okay, you've climbed a long way to get to base camp, and you think, "Oh my gosh, we've arrived! That's awesome!" And then you look up and up, and then you go, "Holy mother of God, that is the tallest mountain I've ever seen!" And of course, it's the tallest mountain. And that is the tall. You know, that's such a good analogy. You picked the tallest mountain in the world. <laughs> so one thing. So a lot of people think about they think about writing the book as being. The, the challenging part. And then once that's done, they're over the hump. All they need to do is market it, and then they can sit back and make a billion dollars. That does not happen. <laughs> and part of the reason it doesn't happen is because if, you, if you're a first-time author or you're kind of a – or just any really new author, um, we don't really have the base, the, the marketing base, the, the fan base – uh, to go out and, and and tell people about our book. So, you know, you might go on podcasts, you might send messages to your email list, uh, you might talk about it where you can, um, but the marketing part ends up being uh, more work, or it should be more work, than writing the book. And I'll say this again so it's clear. You should spend more time marketing and talking about your book and playing up your book than you spent writing your book. So it's an it's an ever ever going event. It's never ending. It's an, it's an, it's an, it's an, well it doesn't have to be an ever going always lasting sort of thing, but in terms of identifying the audience that you're trying to reach, 
mm-hmm. combined with the reality that it's a very crowded market in the ebook world right now. There's a lot of books coming out there, some great, some awesome, some not so much. And, and you have to cut through that noise. So if your book is, in fact, the best thing since sliced bread, and you can get someone to write about it or help you, you know, talk about it, awesome. The, but the idea of, I'm just going to write a book and put it on Amazon and then begin collecting buku bucks, uh, no, that doesn't, that doesn't happen that way anymore. Um, and part of that reason is because it's got to the point where there, there are just so many e-books out there. So please do plan to be marketing your book for months after you finish writing and I do say months and maybe even up to a year um, part of this marketing will start in the weeks and months before you've even finished uh, writing it to put it on sale um, so as far as a timeline goes if you want to think about that whatever date you think you might have it ready for publication begin thinking three months before that Try to sit down and figure out, okay, who would be some, the people I want to reach with this book in terms of where are they looking for information? So if you're looking at the 20 or 30-somethings, uh, you might think, okay, which blogs do they read? Which podcasts do they listen to? Mm-hmm. And you want to start reaching the people that keep those podcasts or keep those blogs. You want to find the influencers that your book will resonate with their audience. Love it. And that's it. Yeah, that's a big part of it. So. Love it. Now, you know, when we were doing show notes, one of the things you said that could be a potential topic was how to manage writers on four different continents and still sleep in on the weekends. And that, <laughs> and, you know, I don't know. I was trying to do my, I my accent. <laughs> I have no idea what accent that was, but I was like, that is so interesting. I want to know what that's like because. Sleeping in on weekends and still managing writers simultaneously on four different continents, that sounds intriguing to me. Um, I know. So, so how do you do it, sir? How do I do it? Okay, so with the Choose Away book, I do, in fact, have – I have had writers on four continents. And as soon as I can uh, write my own book about Middish, that'll make continent number five. Um, very simply, if you're ever in a position where you're looking to work with other authors or – work with other people on different continents, one of the biggest things is to know what you want them to do, tell them how to do it, show them how to do it, and then make sure they did what they said they were going to do. Uh, you may have heard the, the three-step process to presenting. Tell them what you're going to say, say it, and then tell them what you said. It's hmm. surprisingly, amazingly simple or similar uh, to that mindset. And the main, the main thing to do to keep it just as open a communication, as transparent a communication as you can make it, because the, the less confusion that gets introduced into that, the better. Right. No. So setting up systems and being clear uh, really helps. That's what you said. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, so with, with, uh, with the books we have now, I've gotten very good at standardizing virtually every portion or facet of the book. Uh, now, if you're wondering, well, doesn't that take away from their originality or their creativity? Maybe a little bit. But what it ends up doing is it makes a clear, consistent, uniform style and a uniform goal for every book in the series. And that also helps people when they go to buy a book. If they had a great experience with one book in the series and they they feel and they understand they'll have a similar sort of experience with another book in the series, 
then they'll go for that one a little bit more easily. It's the same reason the franchise model with uh, restaurants and other businesses is so successful. If you had a good experience at one Long John Silver's or whatever, you can go to the, another one knowing they serve the same food at basically the same prices, similar restaurant styles, and all that other stuff. Yeah, so, I was, was going to say, basically build a franchise of, uh, uh, you know, of authors, essentially. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, standardizing everything. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Is, is, is one big uh, aspect of it. Um, a couple of other things here that uh, might be uh, some help here. Uh, just thinking about... What you, what you want them to do, but also targeting the right people. The people that I work with are generally first-time authors. They're generally travel bloggers, and they're generally folks that well, they well, they by definition they need to know the place really well. Um, but I also try to look for people that are willing to try something new. They're willing to listen and take feedback and take advice. Um, and part of the way I do that is just you know by talking to them back and forth, um, and also to, you know checking out their blog, checking out their Facebook feed, and and getting to know them as a person. Um, it's very easy to just say, okay, well they're a qualified person. I'll just send them my template, and they're off. Hmm. Uh, I need it. I personally would want a bit more than that, so that's what I try to uh, to do with them. So yeah, make, keeping the lines of communi- communication clear, keeping track of their progress. Uh, like I have a spreadsheet right now that just shows me their name, uh, when they first agreed, the deadline that we agreed to, their current status, the date of that status, and if there's anything else that I need to remember about them that I might otherwise forget. Um, so yeah, right now, uh, just looking at the sheet, I can tell you I have several people working on stuff, a couple people that are falling, about to fall behind. And so, okay, I'm just going to make a note here. So <laughs> See, I mean, type that, that's why I do this podcast, to help you, you know, remember those people that are falling behind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but, uh, but, 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 honestly, it's just a couple out of maybe a dozen or so. So, um, keeping up with every little, don't have to keep up with every little thing. In many cases, you're, if you're working with people that understand what they're supposed to do, even if you've and and if you've given them the thought process behind why you've asked them to do what you want them to do, they'll understand it instead of just blindly following it. So, for example, I ask writers think of uh, half the places should be mainstream, half the places should be, you know, local secrets off the beaten path, whatever. And the reason for that is to give people something new to look forward 
uh, to, to seeing while having many of the places they may already be familiar with or looking forward to seeing. No, that, that's that's you know that sounds like a very smart way to do it. So, no, yeah, so I appreciate that. So we've talked about how to manage writers in four different continents uh, while you still sleep in on the weekends, um, writing your first book, and then now the next step would be making money off you know of travel beyond your you know maybe they're getting into writing. So what are the different ways travel writers, bloggers, whatever can make money? Okay. Uh, well, one thing to think about with making money off of travel is that you can use the same experience in many different ways, many different times. Um, if you've ever heard the term article spinning, uh, where you can, where some writers in the past have taken one article and they've spun it, so they've used different words and they've, you know, ever so slightly changed their articles to. Uh, create different versions of the article. That's not what I'm suggesting in this slightest. Everything I want you to do is white hat, is legal, is above board, is something you can be totally honest with people about. Hmm. Uh, so, inter let's, so let's say um, I went to Barcelona recently, earlier this year, um, and I'm going to write some blog posts about it. That's one. Uh, if I do another book about Barcelona or include some of the places in Barcelona, that's two. Uh, so then I get an introduction to someone who is an editor at a magazine, and they say, oh, I like your pitch on Barcelona. Can you send me a draft? That's three. And then I go on a podcast. I talk about Barcelona. That's four. I go on a, a vlog or a, some kind of video podcast, anything like Blab or Periscope. That's five. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe I write a different uh, style of blog post, like uh, my top ten favorite things to do in Barcelona. That's six. Uh, maybe I get a chance to write an excerpt or uh, have my something published in an anthology, something like that. That's seven. Uh, let's say I go back and live in Barcelona and I give tours to those places. That's eight. You know, so just off the top of my head, that's eight different ways of making money with the same travel experience, and using the same experience to write about it in different ways that people will enjoy and reach out. So creating multiple out. streams of income. Yeah, yeah, quite mm -hmm. potentially, and also thinking about the different ways that people consume information. Not mm -hmm. everyone reads a blog. Not everyone listens to a podcast, and the more different facets or different ways you put. Your knowledge, your you know, your intelligent discourse out there for people to enjoy the better. Absolutely, and speak. You mentioned blab. That's my new and latest obsession. So we should do a blab. I know that's a side note. Yeah. So we should do a blab. Definitely <laughs> talk about that. I love to do that. But um, no, I love I love what you're saying, and you're really hitting on like the full 360 approach on embracing this travel lifestyle, but also really becoming that author. And um, I think you're you're you know. You're doing that in an effective manner, so I love that. And we're going to wrap up soon, but this, the other thing I want to talk about is you're married, right? I am married, yes. You are. And you, and the, one of the questions that I have here is how do you get into the married life you know, of long-term experts? And uh, what's that like? How do you manage that with while you're traveling and you're being an expat and you know, you're also married? And you know, I'm yeah. seeing a lot of dynamics there. There go, so... Well, I have to start by saying I got incredibly lucky. I married a wonderful lady who's as much a traveler as I am. Her uh -huh. name is Laura. 
and uh, she's actually done a couple of guest posts on One Weird Globe. Um, if you uh, if you do a search for her name, that's probably the easiest way to find it. But um, yeah, it starts really by well, a lot of the same mindsets. Who do you, who are you looking for? Are you looking for a wife or a husband? Are you looking for a travel buddy? Are you just looking for a one night stand? What's what's on your plate right now? What do you want out of uh, the relationship? And you know, you might also have to get your own mind right. Are you ready to have a girlfriend or a wife or a husband? Are you ready for that? Mm. And not everyone is. Um, finding someone that meets uh, not just your personal lifestyle, but also your your traveling lifestyle. Are you a slow traveler? Do you want to find somewhere and settle down for six months? Do you want to hit five countries in forty eight hours? You know, if one if one of you if one of you is like, I want to hit five countries in forty eight hours, and the other one's like, I want to settle in somewhere and move into an apartment and stay there for six months, there's going to be conflict. Just oh, right absolutely. Away. Yeah, and, so <laughs> I, I know so, that I know that was one of the reasons you liked one of the podcasts. We had one with Evo and, and his wife, and they made that decision together, right? You know, they they decided they were going to do this um, and travel the world, and it seems like what they're doing is slow travel. Uh, but yeah. that was something they decided to do. So uh, I was talking about this with one of my friends earlier. One thing that travel does do for you is that it does change you, uh, whether you're aware of yeah. it or not. And at one point, one of your spouses or your significant other might change more than the other. So, you know, how does that work? You know, what type of jobs do you then get? You know, do you sac- are you sacrificing a dream for the spouse? There's so many things. Yeah, you know, I, I'm not married. I haven't thought about these things. But from the outside looking in, I, I just think, you know, sometimes it's is one, is one after sacrifice or can you have it where both of you are just doing what you love? Um <laughs> I think I th- actually, you know, believe it or not, I actually think you, you in this case you actually can have your cake and eat it too. It's going to be how exactly you do that is going to be dependent on a bunch of different stuff. How you're living, um, whether you have the money to go out and, and do a crazy trip around the world while the other one stays home. You know, it, it, there's so many individual uh, moving parts there that it's it's really difficult to have a rule for everyone. But it really does start. Well, in, in in my case, at least, it really does start with respect, and it starts with this mindset that I made a choice. I put a ring on my own finger. She put, I put a ring on her finger, and I said, "You're mine. We're going to live the rest of our lives together, and whatever might come, well, we're going to work through it." Right. Um, and so, in many cases, that choice. Uh, it's end of which, which I do believe to be the best choice I've ever made in my life. It's good. Um, <laughs> makes uh it, it you know you kind of do find yourself uh locking in an option if you will mm. but that doesn't always have to stay the same you know we took the, we had the opportunity to travel around Europe for 3 months and that was a crazy hectic time uh for someone that's used to living in one place and living there for 6 months maybe longer all of a sudden going going to different hotels every few days and you know, packing up our stuff and hauling everything we own from one place to the next. It was yeah. a crazy, crazy little time. Um, had a blast. Wouldn't would not have changed one single bit of it. Uh, maybe that one really crappy plane ride. Other than that, <laughs> yeah. no. Um, you know, but in in terms of in terms of making marriage work with travel, it really goes back to respect. 
knowing that every choice you make affects them and vice versa. Um, so if you're seeing that they're not feeling all that well, or maybe they don't want to do much today, maybe you're both just really behind on work, and so you agree just to take a work day. And, and we had a couple of those, even though we were in some, some beautiful places. We both kind of sat down, got some stuff done, and uh, the next day went out, had some fun, um, and moved forward. Uh, another, th another thing to think about is how much time you spend together when you're traveling. Uh, my wife and I, right now in our apartment, we have uh, different offices. Um, we'll tend to do different things during the day. We'll always uh, come back to the same bed, of course. Um, but you don't need to be spending every single moment of every single day together. And after the, after the newlywed period is kind of worn off, you kind of recognize you need your own space to you know, enjoy your own life. And so your, your challenge may be finding the balance between being completely on your own to spending every minute you know virtually chained to the person you're with um, so finding that balance might be the a difficult thing for some folks especially if you're on the road all the time especially if you're traveling all the time and you need to have them you know close by um, the simplest thing there is is just to to know when you can go out on your own know, know when you uh, need some time to yourself and, and to make that known. Hey, honey, this castle is really boring to me. I'm going to relax out here. Uh, so you go ahead and enjoy. Or uh, I'm going to go to the art gallery across the street while you enjoy the castle. And I'll meet you back here at the park at 3. And then you're, and that's that, and, and, and you're off. You know, you don't feel like you have to be with, with them or go to every place that uh, they do. Um, and as soon as we made that sort of agreement, hey, I don't really feel like going into the castle. I'd rather go to the art gallery across the street. Or that statue, I don't know what that is, but i got to check that out. And I'll, I see you want to go into the castle. So, yeah, I'll, I'll catch up with you here in half an hour. You know? So you make a plan, and, and, you, and you enjoy it. No. And as things change, uh, you know, allow for the, the plan to change. But uh, I love what you're yeah, saying. I love what you're saying because you're you're basically describing, uh, you're describing a a partnership. You know, you sign up for the marriage, and it's you know uh, for better or worse, you know, you're working together, and you're also yeah. simultaneously giving each other the chance to be their own individual selves. So it's uh, it, it's definitely work, but you have to put in the work together as well to make sure it's oh, successful. Yeah. But um, yeah. Now, yeah. now with that with that said, I've I've continually been been amazed by. All the stuff you can so easily miss if you're traveling by yourself. Like if you're looking, if you're just looking around by yourself, you've only got one set of eyes, hmm. right? You've only got your own one perspective. And if you've brought someone else in your life and you're sharing your life with, um, doesn't matter if it's a man or woman, doesn't matter if it's old or young. That's another set of eyes, and that doubles your chances of seeing the awesome stuff around you. I cannot tell you how many things I missed because I was either too busy looking towards the left, looking towards the right, looking up when I should have looked down, vice versa. You can miss a lot of stuff, and that second set of eyes, um, again, it can be a friend, it can be a lover, it could be a spouse, whoever it might be, that second set of eyes helps to see some cool stuff you might otherwise miss. And it works both ways, too. Um, sometimes whether it's a museum or a palace or a temple, there's just a whole lot of stuff going on. 
And uh, so what what we've kind of taken to do is, you know, kind of nudge her, hey, you see that? And I'm pointing to that one kind of weird statue in the corner, or she's pointing to, uh, you know, some, some little piece of a painting that uh, she has an eye for detail, you know. So, <laughs> so yeah, having, having that extra set of eyes long, if nothing else, doubles the chances of seeing the awesome stuff around you. Well, I, I want to thank you for saying that. Um, I have a lot to look forward to when it's my time to get married. But uh, your time, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I think I think I got a little bit of more. I, I got a little bit ahead of me, but I, you know, I am that that guy that definitely loves to to share these experiences with you know significant others. So um, I'm I'm glad to hear that it's possible and that it definitely you no know, something to look forward to. So yeah, one more thing. I have, I, I guess I should mention this earlier. Laura and I met on OKCupid.com. Okay. <laughs> what are you trying to say? You trying to say I'm not good enough to find my own lady? Is that what you're saying, Chris? Is that what you're saying, Chris? <laughs> what I'm suggesting here for anyone that might be thinking, "Oh, online dating—that's so passe. That's so from the '90s or the early '80s." No, no, it still do- it still works. It's still awesome, and you can go into it with the mindset that you're looking for someone to meet in the real world that you would never have met in the real world. I would never have met Laura in the real world had I not first met her in the online world. And one thing, one thing the online uh, dating sites do is they let you be very specific about the kind of person you, you want to be with and all that. Um, I have to tell you at the same time, that's that's also very presumptuous because the heart knows what it wants and as as sappy silly as it sounds on a on okcupid what you can do there's like a like a match score how much you match in a percentage and at first i started going out with girls that were like an 85% match or a 90% match you know we had a lot of stuff in common mm. and at first i was thrilled it was like yeah great and then i would go on a first date you're going I don't really want to date a clone of myself. That's kind of lame, kind of boring. <laughs> and so you you kind of opened up. Uh, I began I began reading uh, the profiles a bit more carefully, looking at not just the words that they said, but how they said it. Do they sound like a pessimist? Do they sound like an optimist? Do they sound like they're enjoying life? Do they sound like they're just trudging through life? Um, and you can kind of tell a lot about a person by by that sort of thing. Um, and actually, yeah, I think Laura and I, we were only like a 55 or 56% match Whoa. as, as okay Cupid goes. Um, now, she, now, we are different in, in some ways. She is much more of an introvert. I'm much more of an extrovert. Um, she's very much a book lover and a cat lover. And I like my books. Uh, the cats, uh, they're hurt. Those are hurt. I like, I'll, I'll pet them and play with them. <laughs> You're not into the uh, feline. You're not into the felines, huh? Not really. Not really into animals uh, much at all. But uh, no. So um, if you're if you're looking for someone, and you're online, and you're thinking, "Gosh, where the hell are they?" Get past yourself and thinking they've got to be a hundred percent match. Because dating yourself, I have to say, it's probably one of the lamest things you'd ever do. Allow yourself to go past what you think you want, and Get yourself in positions where you can meet the people that sound interesting online, meet them in person, and then go from there. No, I love it. I love it. And um, yeah, no, thank you so much for saying that. 
So, in order for people to reach out to you to get more awesome advice like you just delivered, and for people to work with you on your amazing new um, venture with your books, where can they reach out to you? Okay. And how can they so co-author co books with you? Yeah, so the main travel blog is, has been One Weird Globe, just like it sounds, OneWeirdGlobe.com. The Choose Away book series can be found at ChooseAway.com, just like it sounds. Um, I'm on Facebook at Facebook.com slash ChooseAway and Twitter.com slash ChooseAwayBooks. Because someone else already got the Choose Away handle on Twitter. Uh, but yeah, chooseaway.com. Uh, the chances to get involved, if you, there's a, if you look in the menu in the top right corner, there's some, there's some links to uh, stuff specifically written towards the writers. And once you've read through all that, there's an application form. Take about five minutes and just help me understand what you've already done as far as travel writing goes. If you've not done any travel writing at all, that's actually okay. Just show me some kind of writing online or somewhere else that shows me you know what subject verb agreement is. And, you know, <laughs> I, uh, I, I'll also note it's not limited to expats. The guy that wrote the, that the, the guy that wrote the Prague book, which comes out October twenty sixth is the plan right now. He is a local. He's a he's a he's an Austrian guy. Uh, his name is Ma uh, Mark, and uh, he was actually the tour guide that led us around Prague while we were traveling through Europe. Um, his English is very good. He knows the town very well, and he was like, "Oh well, you you might have to edit my English because it's not it's not very good." No, he spoke very good English. He knows the town. I'll work with someone that, that puts in the effort to make it happen. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we'll put the notes out there. I'll make sure it's in the show notes. But before you leave, I always ask this question. You should be expecting this question. It is the mission statement of what UI, of what UID is and the Stole by Nomads is. How do you use your difference to make a difference, Chris? I make my different. I, I use my difference, which is just being creative and being passionate about doing awesome stuff, and I put that into everything that I do. So creativity and passion go into making an awesome travel and life. Awesome, awesome. So you just you know you use it and you apply it to your everyday life, and it filters its way into your creativity and it just really your does. being. It it really does. Like any, even like if you're working, even if you're working like a normal nine to five job, you could take a different way to work. Mm -hmm. Try try a different commute. Try a different bus. Try a different path. Uh, be reading as you go. Be open to talking to people as you go. Everything you do can be done in a creative way. Love it. Love it. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I can't wait to put this out, and it's always a pleasure to talk to you because you're you're very interactive. You're is you're energetic. I'm very energetic, so I love when the the speaker out there is always like ah, you know, we, we go toe to toe with that energy. And um, oh yeah, <laughs> but I, 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 love, man. I love what you're about. I love what you're doing, and I'll I'll, I'll definitely get this out. This is going to be coming out soon because I know you've you've got to get this going and try to get some people. So I'll, I'll work in that, and uh, hopefully the audience gets a lot from it and they reach out to you as soon as possible. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm looking forward to to uh, working with more people. At this point, uh, Prague, Houston, and Lisbon are the the books coming out in 2015. 
there are a couple more writers out there working on stuff now, and those books will probably come out uh, whenever they uh, come in, probably early 2016. What I'm trying to do with, with authors right now is release one new book a month. And that sounds like a really fast pace to some people. How the hell do you write that? The most of well, they do, you know, the writing. Uh, all I well, all I do, I edit and uh, format and add the choices, and publish a book, and then get them going on the promotion and such. So there's a whole bunch of other stuff that goes into making the book once they finish the writing part. So hey, awesome! I'll definitely do that then. But it's been a pleasure as always, sir, and I hope you enjoy Medellin. I will enjoy Medellin as much as I can, my friend. <laughs> thanks, for the, thanks for having me on. Uh, thank you for coming on. Appreciate it. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to use your difference to make a difference, as well as for show notes, head over to www.uidmag.com. Till next time, go out and make an impact in your world. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.